Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart, and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. It is arguably in the late 50s of the first century that Paul arrived to the city of Corinth on his third missionary journey. And during his time in Corinth, he pens an epistle, that is just a letter, to the Christians who are in Rome. We presume that the Roman body of Christ was formed on the day of Pentecost there in the city of Jerusalem when many of those Jews came from Rome down to Jerusalem for the festival of Pentecost. And when the Holy Spirit came, many of those heard the gospel for the very first time. They put their faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And in time, we presume, maybe even later with the persecution, They broke out in Jerusalem. They returned to Rome and they established the body of Christ in the city of Rome, Italy. Now Paul is in Corinth and he writes the most marvelous exposition of this gospel that began to be preached there in Jerusalem and of which he eventually took it all over the known world of the time. And now Paul is writing this epistle to make sure that the Christians in Rome have a thorough understanding of the proper gospel of God in Jesus Christ the Messiah. In the first seven chapters, it is rather dark, rather gloomy, rather condemning. And that one statement in Romans 3 that says, Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But then Paul turns it around as he explains his gospel and he comes to Romans chapter 8, where he says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's almost as though the first seven chapters focuses on this condemning aspect of the gospel and how you can be free from condemnation and the wrath of God. That is through the blood, through the body, through the cross of Jesus Christ. And by putting your faith in Him, you can be declared right and be justified and have peace with God. But there's more to the gospel than just the freedom of condemnation. It's this aspect of also being filled with God. In our modern era, often the gospel is just presented as an issue of dealing with your sin and being just with God and getting out of that cloud of condemnation that hangs over us. And for many believers, this is all they know about the gospel. The gospel frees them from perdition and destruction and condemnation, and the gospel affords them a kind of a ticket to the afterlife to the eternal life, to heaven. And that's where the gospel stops for many of us. 
But Paul says in Romans 8, no, there's more to the gospel. Yes, you're free from condemnation, but there's more. The gospel is about coming into Christ and Christ coming into you. And so Romans 8 verse 1, he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We praise the Lord that we are free from condemnation. But today's message is going to focus on the other side of the gospel, coming into Christ and Christ coming into you. Two seeming ways of living this life. The life in condemnation, guilt, shame, a life of running from God, a life under the influence of sin, under the influence of death. Paul would describe it as the law of sin and death. Um, Paul would eventually go on in Romans 7 to say, it is an unhappy, pitiable, miserable, wretched life to live this kind of a outside of Christ life. So that, that's the one way we can live. Apparently, and at the heart of the gospel, is the life of a new creation. And it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, if any man is in Christ, obviously if Christ is in any man, he can be a new creation. And as a result, he can live a life wholly other and different than that of a person outside of Christ. So here at the upstart of Romans chapter 8, where things changes from a message of wrath, a message of judgment, a message of misery and condemnation, it transitions into a wonderful chapter on the Spirit of God who lives inside of the believer. And now Paul will go on and explain to us in Romans 8, how can I now live this new life in Christ. So in this session, I want to just harp a little bit on this issue of being in Christ versus in condemnation. And Romans 8 verse 1 starts off this way. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The uh, Phillips translation um, that came out in the 50s. He uh, paraphrases it this way, and, and listen to this. He says, No condemnation now hangs over the head of those who are in Christ Jesus. And you may have seen in cartoon uh, sketches of yesteryear how... Um, a particular cartoonist or somebody would have this dark cloud with all this lightning hanging over them. That's the image I get from the Phillips translation. That's maybe the image we get from the Apostle Paul. When you are still in the flesh, when you are still in your own effort, in your own striving, in your own to-do list, in your checklist to please God, 
to earn the approval and acceptance of God. It's almost, it's almost as though there's this cloud, this condemning cloud hanging over yourself. The law that you fall short in condemns you. And then, of course, you condemn yourself when you put all these laws upon yourself to impress God and to show forth your love and your holiness to God. It's a miserable way. But Paul says, no, there can be another way to live. And it is when you are in Christ and when Christ is in you. Apparently, at that time, the cloud lifts and grace comes into your life. And with that grace is no condemnation. The text does not say um, a limited condemnation or partial condemnation. It says there is no condemnation. Then why is it that so many of us who seemingly are the confessors of Christ, why is it that we walk around so often, and I'm, I'm, I've done this many a time in my life, I confess freely Christ, but I live under this cloud of condemnation. How can it be that me, a new creation, who's supposed to live from glory to glory to glory, who is supposed to live in the grace of God and in the life of God and in the love of God, how can it be that I'm a believer under a cloud hanging over my head of condemnation? I believe Paul gives us the answer. It's this issue that we don't live in the Holy Spirit who brought us into Christ. So with our mouth we confessed Christ. But in our lifestyle, if we continually live in the flesh and mind the flesh, then we will not experience this freedom, this liberty, that only the Holy Spirit can facilitate into our experience. Look back at Romans chapter 8. He says, verse 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And I want you to, to uh, fixate on this with me. If you're not in Christ and you don't cultivate and steward a life in the Holy Spirit, if you don't learn to be regulated and influenced and supplied by the Spirit of Jesus the Christ, you are going to revert back to condemnation. You're going to feel guilty. You're going to feel shame. And you will feel this cloud constantly hanging over your head. So the only way to really get out of this cloud is not only to confess Jesus, but to learn this life in the Spirit. He goes on here. Look at verse 5. He says, For those who are according to the flesh... They mind the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, those who are born of the Spirit, those who are filled with the Holy Spirit, those who are regulated by the Holy Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And so here's this issue. Are you and I merely confessors of Christ? Or have we allowed Christ by His life-giving Spirit, to come into me. And furthermore, am I learning to live by that indwelling Lord? Because apparently, if I don't, I will set my mind back on the things of the flesh. 
And when I set my mind back on the things of the flesh, I'm going to experience tension. I'm going to experience the law condemning me. I even condemn myself and I'm going to experience sin and death usurping me. Look here also um, in verse 6 of Romans 8. The mind set on the flesh is death. The mind set on the spirit is life and peace. You'll see that if you learn to be regulated by the Holy Spirit and you learn to be fueled and sustained and supplied by the Holy Spirit, then you will have this mystical experience of life and peace. But if you reject the influence of the Spirit of Jesus Christ in your life, and you persistently, consistently, ongoingly lean into the self, into the flesh, trying to work for God, earn favor with God, then you're going to experience death. And that is the experience of many Christians who are confessors of Christ, but their lifestyle is in the flesh, therefore they experience death. What is death? No energy, no peace, shame, guilt, a false identity, a, a, a lack of love, a lack of awareness, a lack of focus, a lack of purpose. Death, separated from God. So this issue, being in Christ, that is what the gospel is all about. If any man is in Christ, in Christ. So this becomes the issue. How do I get into Christ? Even more, how does Christ get into me? Well, beloved, I want to give you two simple answers here this morning. First, there needs to be the confession from your mouth that Christ is the Lord. This is how you get into Christ, so to speak, by your confession. Lesson number one this morning, to be in Christ, you have to learn to call upon His name. You have to learn to confess Him. That is, call upon Him in uh, tenderness, in humility, in love, in worship, and in adoration. We have that in Romans chapter 10. If you flip forward just a little bit to chapter 10, You'll see in verse 9 that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your heart there is believing unto righteousness, which really is the topic of the book of Romans. How do I get righteous with God? Well, here he says, confess the Lord and believe. Believe with your heart and with your mouth there is the confession unto salvation. Okay? So, number one, how do I get into Christ? Number one, very simply, is learn to confess the name of Jesus. Paul here in verse 13, he says, Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So as Christians, let's say even as unchristians, the very first thing that we do, obviously by the Holy Spirit, is that we confess Christ. If we confess Christ at salvation, 
all the more we ought to confess him as a way of life. So that's why we teach people in the morning when you get up, say, Lord Jesus, I love you. Call upon him. Lord Jesus, I believe into you again. Call upon him and say, Lord, I trust that you are the son of God. I trust that you were raised from the dead. I believe that you are conqueror and victor. Beloved, don't get up in the morning and just fixate on yourself. Fixate on the Lord. Call upon the Lord. So that's how you come into Christ, so to speak. With confession and with the heart. But here's the question, number two. How does Christ come into you? And that's the issue I want to discuss with you for just a minute. I come into Christ, so to speak, by confession. So do that often. Do that every day. And call upon Him. Say actually His name. Lord Jesus, Son of God, I love you. A lot of folk practice that as a kind of a breath prayer back in the ancient days. And I have done that too, where with every breath you would say the name of the Lord, not in a repetitious way to show off, but in a calling upon Him way, in a worshiping way, in a loving way. You would with every breath begin to practice things like this. You would say, Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Breath prayer. Folk did it back in the day. Allow the Holy Spirit to teach you your own version of breath prayer. But more than that, we want Christ to come into us because if any man is in Christ, and also if Christ is in any man, so how does Christ come into me, beloved? That's an issue of the Holy Spirit. This is an issue where you and I, number two, need to learn to receive the Holy Spirit. In boldness, we confess Christ, but in humility, in tenderness, in receptivity, we have to receive Him into us. And this is not entirely as mystical as it sounds, and it's described actually in the Gospel of John. And I, and I want to bring that to your attention briefly. Turn with me to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. How do I come into Christ? Confess Him. Confess Him. Call upon Him. How does Christ come into me? Oh, learn to receive the Holy Spirit. Learn to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Learn to be regulated by the Holy Spirit, governed by the Holy Spirit taught by the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit. So it's entirely an issue of me being receptive and vulnerable and open to Christ now living also in me by His Spirit. John chapter 7, verse 37. If you can pick up with me for just a minute. It says, On the last day, this great day of the feast, Jesus stood up, amidst this crowd, and he made this announcement. And he said, If any one of you thirst, let him come to me and drink. Uh, beloved, where do we thirst from? We thirst from within. Hunger and thirst is an inward need of man. So Jesus, in a sense here, 
picking up on Isaiah 55, makes this call and he says, If there is anybody in all this crowd that has an ache within, has a hunger within, has a thirst within that, that religion cannot fill, and good works cannot fill, and certainly condemnation cannot correct. If there's anybody in there with a vacuum, with a void, with an emptiness, then come to me and drink. Two things, come to me. That is, call upon me. Look to me. Follow me. As we just heard, call upon the Lord. And then he says, number two, drink. Let this water that I give them come into you. So there's two things here, as we say, it takes two to tango. How do I get into Christ? Come to Him. Call upon Him. Confess Him. Number two, drink from Him. So notice how Jesus then goes into this drink that He will give. He says in verse 38, He who believes into Me, you have to believe into Him. Call upon Him. Believe that He's the Son of God risen from the dead. Believe into Him with your heart. As the Scripture said, out of His innermost being will flow rivers of living water. We have this ache within us, and if we come to Him, and if we dare to believe that He is the Son of God, then apparently something will be substantiated within my being, uh, so much so that it will be a river a kind of a fountain, and it'll just flow. And he says also, it'll be living water. Unlike tradition and culture and religion who just gives dead customs, lifeless customs that appeals to your outer man, he says here, what I'm going to do for you is going to come into you. It's going to come out of you. So you can see here he's hinting at an inward filling that has to take place. Can you follow with me? But then comes his interpretation of this water. He makes a call, an invitation, and he says, If you are aching, come on, believe into me. Then you are going to be unstopped and rivers are going to flow. And now he's going to interpret his own mystical word. Look here, verse 39. But this he said concerning the Spirit whom those who believed into Him were about to receive. Notice two things. You believe into Him, and then you're going to receive. So how do I get into Christ? I believe, and I receive. Those who believed into Him, they were about to receive this Spirit. For the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit was not just yet, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. It's a very mystical passage, but if I can boil it down in simplicity, it's simply this. God in Christ could not give His life-giving Spirit to people until He had been crucified and resurrected and glorified by God. It's as though that had to happen first. Why? So that the crucifixion can wash you, forgive you, cleanse you, 
so that you can be unstopped and unplugged and filled with the Spirit of life. It's as though the Spirit of life can't come into a vessel preoccupied with sin. So Christ first died to do away with your sin. That had to happen first. And then after He died, and after He completes the work of salvation, then He can now fill you with the Holy Spirit. So at that time, Jesus had not died. So people were only able to believe into Him. Ah, you're the Son of God. You are the Christ. In uh, Matthew 16, Peter believed into Jesus. You're the Son of God. He confessed Him. You're the Lord. But you notice that Peter kept falling and falling and blowing it. He was in Christ, yeah, but Christ was not yet in him because Christ had not yet died and risen. And so it's understandable that Peter's strength was so weak. Jesus even said to him, you know, Peter, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is so weak. There's no supply in your flesh. There's no oomph in your flesh. So good intentions, you know, Peter, he wanted to, to do good. He wanted to protect his Lord. He wanted to pray for an hour, but he couldn't. There was no living water within him. Christ had to die first. Now here's the implication. Christ did die. What then is about to happen? Based on this word, if he was to die and be raised and glorified, then that makes room for the Spirit now to come into people. And we actually have that account in the Bible. Turn to John chapter 20. In John 20, there's the actual account of Jesus coming into them. In a way, they had already come into Him. They had believed into Him. They had begun to confess Him. Obviously, they were followers of Him. But the issue is not just who do you confess. The issue is, did God come into you? Because if you are not in Him, by confession and by filling, you will constantly experience condemnation. This tension, this wretchedness, this defeated life. You could be like Peter and say, I believe in Jesus. You can even sing Jesus songs. Oh, I love you, Lord. You could even read a Bible. I believe in you. Beloved, that's all good, but it's the one side of the coin. That's why so many of us, we go to church, we confess, we go to camp, we come even maybe to a legacy, etc., etc. And my life has no power. And then there's this confusion, but I do confess Him. But I find that I have no power. So what am I supposed to do? Something in you has not yet opened up to the Spirit of Christ coming into you. Because if the Spirit of Christ comes into you, there will be a supply. There will be an enablement, an anointing, a power that comes into you to begin to live the overcoming life and to live the life as described in Romans 8. In John chapter 20, Jesus was just raised from the dead. It is the third day after the Lord's crucifixion. And look here at verse 19. It was the evening of that day, the first day of the week, 
It's now three days after the Lord's crucifixion. And the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear because of the Jews. Notice the word fear. They are in hiding. The doors are shut. Now listen, they've already confessed Christ. They're already believers in Christ. Peter had already said, you're the Son of God. But look at their lifestyle. Fear, shame, hiding, running. It sounds like Adam and the woman in the Garden of Eden. It's actually the Garden of Eden all over again. And so they're clandestine. They are in obscurity, hidden. It seems like so many of us in the modern age live this kind of a Christian life. I do believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but I live behind closed doors. I'm so afraid. What's the issue? The Spirit is not in me. The river has not been unlocked inside of me. I have to take another step in God. So the Lord comes and He stood right there in their midst. And He said to them, Peace be to you. And when He had said this, He showed them His hands and His side. That's the marks of crucifixion, by the way. He had died. He had been tortured and crucified. And He shows them, hey, here's the work of the cross. It's the one side of the coin. He has to die. He has to suffer. And He shows them, this has been fulfilled. And the disciples rejoiced when they saw the work of the cross. They saw the scars. So there's a celebration. There's a joy. And really, when you and I hear the message of the cross, there should be a joy well up within you. (laughs) Thank you. Praise you. Worship you. Bless you, Lord. Okay. Verse 21 is highly significant. Jesus said to them, Peace be to you. This is the second time that He tells them peace. And by the mouth of two or three witnesses, truth is established. In other words, since my crucifixion and my resurrection, there's no more condemnation upon you. Even though you're hiding, I'm not coming to find you, to beat you up. I'm not seeking you out to put you to shame. I'm at peace with you because of the works of my cross. And so the second time he says to them, peace. That is, this life with me, this new creation life is not a condemning life. It's a life of peace. That's why Romans 8 would say, those who are in the Spirit experience life and peace. That's why Paul would say a little bit later, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Romans 14, 17. And so here Jesus repeats himself. No, he's not forgetful of what he just said. He repeats himself to emphasize this issue. My kingdom, this new life, is an issue of peace. No more wrath, no more condemnation. And truth is, these disciples will yet blow it many more times. Notably, Peter will still blow it. He will still make mistakes, but he will remain in peace with God. He will repent. He will learn from it. The Holy Spirit will pick him up and he will go the distance with God all the way to his own crucifixion in Rome. But it gets more interesting than that. Look again at verse 21. The Lord says to them, peace. 
I'm not mad at you. My father's not mad at you. And then he says this, As my father sent me, I want to send you. And notice here, he puts their purpose in front of them. He puts a challenge in front of them. He puts a mission in front of them. And it's simply this, I'm not bringing you to heaven with me. I'm going to leave you on this earth. My God sent me to this earth, and now I want to send you. In essence, I worked with my Father. Now you're going to work with God. He used me. Now I'm going to use you. It's the story all over again. So here in verse 21, you have almost their mission. From now on, you are going to be useful to me in uh, Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So this is a statement of mission. He dangles a carrot in front of them and says, you are going to be used by me. But listen, you cannot be used by God with just a confession of God. Something has to come into you to enable you to be used by God. It's not enough to just confess, you're the son of David. You're the Messiah. Something has to come into them. And notice the next verse. This will be the supply. This will be now Christ coming into them to live out this mission. And here is the marvelous verse 22. And when he said this to them, that is, he just knighted them, he commissioned them, he authorized them. When he said this, he breathed into them and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you are a confessor of Christ, then glory to God. You have started the process of walking with God, but it's not enough. It's not enough to just confess the cross of Christ, the work of Christ, the identity of Christ, the life of Christ. It's not enough. You have to also go the next step, the other side of the coin, and receive His very breath. That is, out of Christ, He breathed His essence into them. I don't know what this looked like, but I can only imagine Jesus was in the room there with them and he said, Peter, come here. Come stand right here. And I can only imagine Peter's like, okay, what are you going to do to me? And I can imagine Peter just walking up to the Lord and he's standing there. And I don't know what this looked like, but I, I can just imagine Jesus holding him, drawing a deep breath. And out of his core, out of his essence, out of his very own spirit, he breathed his breath into this Peter. And it reminds me of how God formed Adam. Adam was this lifeless piece of clay. And God came down to that piece of clay and picked it up. It wasn't animated. It was just dormant. All the capability of a man, all the potential, 
but th there was nothing in that man. And so it says in Genesis, God breathed into that man the breath of life, and he was animated. Well, this is exactly that event in the new creation. It's not enough to just have a mission, a body, a confession. You need a filling. And this is what Romans 8 is all about. So I believe Peter stood there and God in Christ breathed the everlasting spirit into him. Why? Because the work of the cross had annihilated his old creation man, done away with the sin, done away with the record of guilt and shame and condemnation. Christ rose from the dead and now here is a new man that can be filled like the original man with the very breath of God. And now Peter will go forth. The apostles will go forth. And beloved, here you and I are today, not only because of their confession, but because of their filling. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, say it with me, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Therefore, there's no condemnation. Your friends, your parents, your culture, religion, yourself, the law, nothing can condemn you. Why? Because you're a dead man to that condemnation. And you are filled and resurrected with living waters. Because you're in Christ. And Christ is in you. Are you a confessor of Christ? Have you received the one whom you confess? Because without that filling, you cannot live this Christian life. You'll stay in that dynamic of tension, misery. And that is only half of the gospel, to be a confessor, but not a filler of the very Christ whom we confess. Beloved, have you received the Holy Spirit?